Now when preachers talk about God's sovereignty in some contexts, a sermon about God's sovereignty is seen as controversial. I hope that here in a Presbyterian, in a Reformed context, it's not so controversial. Uh, But let's walk through this as best as we can in the time that we have and see what the scriptures have to say to us. First, we can safely say that the Bible teaches us that man has a will and that man is responsible for the choices that he makes. But the Bible also teaches that God is in control. The Bible teaches that God's will cannot ultimately be thwarted by His creation. So on the one side of the spectrum, there are those who consider the human will and imagine that everything depends upon us and our efforts. On this side of the the spectrum, a person imagines, I am the master of my own destiny. But on the other side of the spectrum are those who consider God's sovereignty and conclude that there is no need to meaningfully plan or prepare anything. This person imagines that God will do whatever he intends to do. And so our job is merely to try and get out of his way. Neither of these positions are faithful to the biblical testimony. They represent the far end of each side of the spectrum. We are, as Scripture instructs us, we are to regularly pray because it makes a difference. We are to plan. We are to work. But the Bible also teaches that the final outcome of such efforts does not ultimately lie with us. God has a plan, and God will execute His plan, but this does not negate the need for effort on your part and mine. So Proverbs chapter 16 is largely about this intersection between man's will and God's will. Theologians often refer to this as the providence of God. And being a Presbyterian congregation, I want to quote you from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a long long quote, so I'll put it up here on the screen for you. This is what the Westminster Confession says about God's providence. God, the the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose and govern all creatures, actions and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. This is what Reformed Christians have believed for hundreds of years. And I will not presume to tell you that I can improve upon that statement. But what I can tell you is I can shorten it. 
I can give you something more succinct to walk away with. God's providence refers to his ongoing involvement in and his control over every aspect of his creation. Interestingly, King Solomon, if you're looking at the text, you'll see he bookends his teaching on God's sovereignty. On the front end, he gives an encouragement towards humility. And on the back end of the passage, he gives a warning against pride. Look at chapter 15, verse 33. Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. And then he says a whole bunch of things about God's sovereignty. And then in chapter 16, verse 18, he says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so the not-so-subtle suggestion is that we would be wise if we submit ourselves to God's control. Let's think this through. One way or another, every which way you look at it, God is in control. The question only remains, will we embrace that control? Will we submit to that control? When we embrace the notion that God is sovereign, and when we trust in the unfolding of His purposes, it is for our benefit. Again, look at Proverbs 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord. And your plans will be established. Look at verse 9. This is a key one. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you see, Solomon acknowledges that man has the capacity to map out his way and to make plans. Solomon even makes the point where he commends our working. He commends our efforts. But the outcome, the outcome comes from the Lord. Over the years, I've frequently had people ask me about humanity's free will and how that relates to God's sovereignty. People ask about free will as it relates to our engagement with God. On the surface, it seems like a fair inquiry. Because clearly we have a will. Clearly we have the ability to make some choices, to make some decisions. But whoever said that the human will was free? Where in the Bible do we learn that the human will is free? Firstly, the human will has been impaired by sin. Ever since the fall in, in, the, in the garden, in, 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 when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we have been impaired by sin. 
ever since that early time. Secondly, our will is ultimately subject to God's will. It's ultimately subject to God's will. Our hearts make plans. We willfully choose to do certain things and to engage in certain activities. But our plans don't always carry the day. And the reason why our best contrived plans don't always carry the day is because our will is not free. Our will is not free or independent of God's will. And perhaps the most obvious biblical example I could give you this morning is from the story of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, we see that it is God's will for Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to the people there. But Jonah had a will. Jonah had a will and he had no interest in going to Nineveh. Jonah didn't like God's idea at all, so he made a decision to try and run from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah made a choice. He made a decision to go to Joppa. In Joppa, he made a decision to buy a ticket to board a ship that would sail to Tarshish. But God had a very different plan for Jonah. And so God exercised his power in a very dramatic way in order to prevent Jonah from reaching the destination of his choosing. More succinctly, God's will triumphed over Jonah's will. God's will triumphed over Jonah's will because God is sovereign. As you might imagine, God's sovereignty is massively relevant for how our life unfolds. And this is good news for you who belong to Jesus Christ. If you belong to God, if Christ has redeemed you, it is my great privilege to say that you have no possibility of escaping God's hand. If you belong to Christ, you may be allowed to wander for a season, but God will not ultimately let you get away. You may make some choices that are contrary to His will, some choices that are contrary to God's call upon your life, but eventually, if you belong to God, He will have His way with you. His will will triumph over your will. Jonah was allowed to run, but God would not let him get away. Jonah had an agenda, but in the end it was God's agenda that was realized. Yes, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So once we understand that God has ordered things in this manner, once we understand that God is ultimately in control of our lives, it should prompt in us, it should prompt in us a spirit of humility. We take a posture of humility 
recognizing that our best laid plans will only prevail if the Lord allows them to prevail. A consideration of God's sovereignty should also allay any anxiety we have about the future. Have you ever been worried about the week ahead? Or the month ahead? Or the year ahead? Have you ever been worried about what may happen to you? Or to your loved ones? I have. But then I go to the scriptures. Where the Bible assures us that our life is not unfolding in some random or haphazard manner. But our life is unfolding according to a particular plan. A plan of a God who loves us and is working all things for our good. Now at this point, some of you may be tempted to think about something terrible that has occurred. You're thinking about something bad that has happened perhaps to you or to a loved one. And you're asking the question in your mind, how is God working in this awful situation? What is God doing in this awful situation? Well, the biblical testimony allows me and allows you to be certain that whatever the end game is for these challenging circumstances that you're going through, that God has designed them for your good and for His glory. That's Romans 8.28. There are other passages, but that's the most explicit. If you want a real-life biblical example, then we would look at the story of Joseph, Jacob's son, Do you remember that story? Joseph, the one with the multicolored coat or or the full-length robe. We're never quite certain how to translate the Hebrew. But what we do know is that Joseph was attired in a much fancier attire than any of his brothers. And they hated him for it. His robe was a symbol of, of his father's favoritism on his life. And his jealous brothers conspired to do what? They stripped him of his robe and they threw him in a pit. Joseph who worshipped the Lord, who wanted to do the Lord's will in every instance. What, What did the Lord allow for him? He allowed him to be thrown into his pit. Betrayed by his brothers. Allowed to be sold as a slave. Joseph becomes the property of Potiphar. And he's working in Potiphar's household. And Potiphar's wife makes advances on Joseph. And Joseph says, I will not do this evil thing. I will not sin against God. So Joseph refuses the advances of Potiphar's wife. And what happens? Joseph is thrown into prison. In prison, he makes friends. He makes friends, and when the cupbearer is about to be released, Joseph invites him to pledge to do something to help him get out of prison. But the cupbearer forgets Joseph, and Joseph languishes in prison for two years. All this time, 
Joseph has been seeking to honor God. And seemingly in every situation, things worked out dreadfully for Joseph. Nothing seemed to go his way. Imagine your Joseph. Imagine what he's thinking. I wonder what Joseph thought of God's providence as he sat in that pit with his robe removed from him. He's sitting in the pit. What did Joseph think of God's providence then? And what about when he was sold as a slave and then working as a slave? What did Joseph think of God's providence then? What about when Joseph was in prison? What did he think of God's providence when he was languishing in prison for two years? But you know how the story ends. You know how the story ends. Joseph wins the favor of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh elevates Joseph to the highest position next to him. So Joseph becomes second in charge in Egypt. And not only is he second in charge, but he's second in charge of a wealthy nation in the days of famine. And his brothers who betrayed him, coincidentally, come to him for food. Joseph is able to leverage his authority as essentially the prime minister of Egypt. And he is able to feed his brothers and their families. Joseph sums up his perspective in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So do you see what happens? There are two forces at work here. The first force is human decisions. Human choices. Human actions. The brothers really chose to betray their brother. To sell him into slavery. There was a real choice to put Joseph in prison, even though he was an innocent man. There was a choice to not remember Joseph to Pharaoh and to allow him to languish in prison for as long as he did. Choices were made, and those choices for a season carried the day. But there is a second force at work, and that force is God. God who manages those decisions, those bad decisions. God who manages those circumstances and moves them towards a greater good. Indeed, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Friends, it should be a source of tremendous comfort. It should not scare you. It should hearten you to hear me say, to hear in the word of God, that the Lord will have his way. His purposes will come to pass. And even if we've managed to make a terrible mess of things, which sometimes happens... 
Even if we make a terrible mess of things, it is not beyond God's ability to bring you out of that mess. Think of it. Think of it. What was the worst crime in human history? What was the worst crime in human history? Surely it was that time when created beings hung their creator on a cross. Surely the greatest crime in history was the crucifixion of the sinless, innocent God-man, Jesus Christ. The most terrible crime in human history. Now what was the most triumphant moment in human history? It's the same event. The greatest crime in human history is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the greatest triumph in human history is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what looks like an absolute disaster in the moment won't be wasted by a sovereign God who specializes in bringing good out of bad situations. This is so relevant because if you're on social media these days, nobody seems to like their government. No one seems to like their head of country. I don't want to pick on neighboring nations. I'll let your imagination go where it goes. But people are anxious, they're worried, they're all bent out of shape because of the individuals who are in charge. Friends, they're not in charge. God will have His way. And even if they make a mess of things, even if they have made a mess of things, we worship a God who specializes in bringing good outcomes out of awful situations. Now don't get me wrong, don't try and put this to the test. Don't try and make messes just to see how God cleans it up. Don't make a mess on purpose. But it should hearten you. To hear that if you belong to God, if you are in Jesus Christ, there is no situation that can separate you from His love and from His favor. And for this reason, God's work in establishing our steps should never be resisted, nor should it ever be resented. God's work in establishing our steps should never be resisted and it should never be resented. Because again, even if we resist, even if we fight back, even if we like Jonah go in the other direction, God will ultimately have His way with us. And I don't know about you, But as I think this through, as I think about this principle and this dynamic through, what comes to my mind is, I want to obey on the front side so that God doesn't have to send a giant fish after me. And of course, for for us, it'll be something else. But make no mistake, the giant fish just goes by a different set of circumstances, doesn't it? God goes after His people 
To one, he uses a giant fish. To others, he uses very challenging situations. And so I want to submit on the front side because I don't want to be swallowed by those circumstances. I can, I can tell you honestly a prayer that I regularly pray. And, and, and I'm so serious with this. I say, Lord, help me to be humble so that it is not necessary for you to come and humble me. Because if I, through my obedience and keeping in step with the Spirit of Christ, can stay humble, then He doesn't need to send these giant fish after me. So humility becomes a very important aspect of the Christian walk. Because if we are not humble, and if we belong to Christ, He will come after you. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. But humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. That's the path we want to be on. Because the alternate path terrifies me. The the alternative path is pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. So you think you know it all? You think you know what you need to do, what your next step, what your next set of plans looks like? Get ready to fall, says Scripture. Friends, what this comes down to, what this comes down to is trust. Do you trust God? This is the grand question in play in this text. Do you trust God? More specifically, do you trust God with your future? Do you trust God with your tomorrow? As I consider the God revealed in the Bible, as I consider the person and the work of Jesus Christ, as I consider how God's hand has led me every step of my life, as I consider how grace has brought me safe thus far, it gives me confidence that grace will lead me home. I am absolutely certain of this. God can be trusted with my future. And God can be trusted with your future. The God who created the heavens and the earth makes no mistakes. He can even manage the worst of circumstances, the worst of human decision making, and He works it all for your good. So pray, plan, Work hard, but humbly understand that the outcome does not lie with you or with me. But know that God is working for your good. He's working all things for your good and His glory. And so we worship Him now and forever. Amen.